Welcome to the Hunt League Podcast, where we share hunting stories from the field that help pave the way for others to follow. The really, truly successful bow hunters that I've seen and stuff like that has started out with right a muzzle. This is your host, Jared Newman. Let's get started. All right, welcome to today's podcast. I'm sitting here with Will Bowman of Archery School of the Rockies. Uh, which is a bow shop here in Colorado Springs, uh, one that I just recently visited. I took 23 arrows, uh, should be two dozen, but I already had one Robin Hood that lost one of my good ones. So, um, But I just had them refletched at your shop. Uh, archery School of the Rockies is an impressive uh, archery shop, school, training center. Um, so, Will, I'm going to have you give me a little bit of an intro to Archery School of the Rockies so we understand you know, what you're a part of. You're one of the, the owners, partners there at the school. So tell us a little bit about Archery School of the Rockies, and then we're going to dive into this This episode. We're really going to focus on archery, archery hunting, uh, equipment, that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about Archery School of the Rockies and what you're all about. So um, first off, I'm going to tell you how it started. It's kind of an interesting uh, way of going about getting into like a archery shop, I should say, or, or starting a business. Uh, it started out with my mother-in-law, actually, and my and my daughter, Casey. Uh, Casey was on track of being on the residential team for uh, the Olympic archery. She was going to be a resident athlete. Um, had a falling out with one of her coaches. They butted heads and they argued. And uh, no 12-year-old should have to go through that kind of argument when they're being an aspiring or aspiring yeah. to be an athlete. Um, you don't know where these kids are going to go. You You just have no idea. Uh, my mother-in-law got really mad, really upset. So she started getting her coaches certificates and everything else like that and how to coach archery. Uh, she's been a coach in several different other sports. So this wasn't really like a new thing, um, teaching people how to be their best. Um, so Karen just started out and she just jumped into it and she started an after-school program. Um, she rented out a, one of these event halls in town and stuff like that and put up her bales every, every week, every Tuesday and had her little club and started training. Well, it started getting more and more traction. People started taking notice of what she was doing and things like that. Um, she really jumped into it and she developed, well, we got enough members here, but we should rent out a permanent spot. Now you just said, Karen, I didn't know Karen was your mother-in-law. Like Karen yeah, is like, Karen is my everybody yeah. in town knows Karen. Cause she's like a world-class yeah archery coach and instructor yeah. so i had mm -hmm. no idea that there was family relation there i've met oh, karen yeah. before and talked to her and she like mm -hmm. everybody i know loves karen oh she's a wonderful woman wonderful woman gives her heart to everything and uh we're all behind her the whole family is behind her hugely behind her she's a <laughs> she seems like this wonderful sweet person but she is a force of nature that you don't want to cross either so you know, she's <laughs> She's both sides of that coin, right? So she, uh, she is, she is there. She, she's our leader. She's the one who actually really pushes things to the point where it's either we're going to win or we're going to fail. You yeah. Know? And when you're walking that line and you're putting everything you have in there, you don't have any other choice but to win. So she really pushes you to that point where it's just going to go. You're, you're either going to do it or it's not going to work. One of the two. You're not just going to sit there and hem haul things around. You're just going to go. And um, she has taught me that. She has definitely been one of my major people in my life that have, have taken me out of the military. When I first met her in 2016, I wanted to set up 
just a veteran shooting program. And I approached her and we talked and uh, one of her previous partners, we were all kind of trying to figure it out and stuff like that. And I was holding these veteran shoots and we just started getting traction and everything else like that. And then I fell in love with her daughter. That's so, <laughs> <laughs> it. It was kind of what happened there. And um, yeah. And then we went and we all just started jumping in all three of us. Um, sometimes dragging my daughter along, you know, um, she doesn't sometimes want to be a hundred percent behind it, but I think she's starting to come around now. What is Archery School of the Rockies? What are you guys really all about there? I know you're a training place. You're kind of a world-class shop too. You guys can, Mm -hmm. you know, set everybody's bows up, tune them, all of that. But, you know, what's the real heartbeat behind it? Um, the real heartbeat behind it, I'm going to tell you that we believe that there's a bow for every hand. We believe that archery is meant to be experienced by everybody, whether you're hunting, whether you're, you know, a four-year-old, 80-year-old, um, archery teaches us all about ourselves. So we tend to start thinking a little bit differently going forward through archery. So when we're talking about how to learn and everything else like that, and it's, it's, not only what you should know, but what you should question, right? And what you should go for. And is this really accurate information? Um, case in point, the Ferry Ranch guys. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you've seen those yeah. guys and stuff like that. They put some pretty good data out there. I like that you call it the Ferry Ranch instead of the Ranch Ferry, but I like the Ferry oh, okay. Ranch guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to blunder that up, but um, – but, you know, they put some pretty good data together and they put a pretty good argument together. Yeah, to put, now, I mean, they're all about heavy front end, single bevel. Mm-hmm. They, they put a sure. lot of stuff there. But I like, sure. the, I like that you're bringing up, they're questioning things, which I think yeah. all of us should question. And it's not that we yeah. should just believe what they have to say either. Exactly. We need to start looking at some of the older ones, right? Like, what about some of the manufacturing data? You know, these guys build arrows. They have arrow companies. They're, they're huge huge companies of just knocking out these these shafts left and right you don't think they know what the data is and everything else like that and why should we go with them over these guys and and that and this so you have to walk down that road yourself because there is so much flip-flop in that information back and forth um that you need no matter what you need to put your own data together collect your own um opinions and see what works for you Because what works for me, you know, I'm not like Mike, you know, I'm not a, you know, a two bevel guy, you know, I, I like my, you know, three blade, uh, replaceable razor blade styles and stuff like that. I like, you know, a lot of what, uh, the straightness of the ferrule and all those kind of things. I, I like those kind of things. Um, this year I'm going to mess around with some of the, the points that we're not really sponsored by them, but kudu. Um, yeah. I kind of was talking them all up and stuff like that. And I'm gonna, I, I I'm have a couple, I have a couple as well. Yeah. I, I've yeah. sold a couple people on them. Cause I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? I actually really like the shape. I really like this Michael, uh, you know, Michael King, he's, he's in the mm-hmm. Hunley gap, but yeah. he, I saw his picture on the front. It made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Him laying down with yeah. an elk right yeah. now. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, like I've, I've looked at the design of that and I'm like, you know what? I, I, even without shooting it, I think I think the geometry of it, it, there's some stuff about it that makes sense to me, and that's that's mm-hmm. where you like question stuff. Like, 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm about to send an email out to everybody in Hunt League saying, hey, what am I missing as far as, uh, you know, because I, I get questions all the time from, like, we have a safe section in the app where people can enter, you know, the type of equipment they're using from the bow to the broadhead to the arrows to, you know, so you mm-hmm. can actually keep tabs of the equipment. Sure. Well, one of the things that constantly happens is somebody's shooting some broadhead that I've never heard of, or mm-hmm. maybe I've heard of it and it's just been a massive oversight, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I don't have, you know, yeah. Yeah, I guess. how do I not have muzzies in there or something? You know, it's like <laughs> something yeah. like everybody's heard of this well, one. Well, I don't necessarily think that's a bad one to have admit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you know but um, then the other thing is like how heavy like i have like grain weights and you know typically there was like 100 125 and nowadays i mean it's like i'm getting calls from people like i'm shooting a 300 grain broadhead can you get a 300 and i'm just like really like i didn't even know they made you know and it's like and i know oh, yeah. with traditional like they've had that stuff but oh, i'm yeah. just waiting for the phone call or somebody's pushing a thousand plus grain arrows because they're just thinking that you know but but that's the thing where we we test everything well i will tell you there's been some companies that have tried that um pse being one of those guys with the extreme super heavy arrows yeah well it was a super heavy arrow all the way around it was called the black mamba uh this arrow was and it had an insert through the whole length of the shaft no way they got some in stock yeah and those arrows when after you built them they were up in the 800s um, it was just like this absurdly heavy, heavy arrow. Now, so when you're talking about um, getting your penetration, it has to do with the whole projectile, not just the FOC, right? So when people say, well, I want to run really heavy FOC, well, you know, you can balance that out a little bit too. There's some hunting arrows out there that have a higher, you know, GPI on them, right? Yeah. And you don't have to run so heavy on the FOC. And then you don't really have to pervert your spine either. You don't have to like, well, like on a normal build and stuff like that. Um, I'm a 29 and a half, pretty average guy. Um, pulling 73 on my little, I got it ramped up a little bit on my elite here. Uh, um, 73 pounds, right? I'm shooting a 300 with a 100 grain. Um, and it flies great. But then when I put a 340 on it, um, I can walk that poundage down and shoot it out to 80 yards, and I can see my groups just start shrinking. So when you're talking about how accuracy plays with your spine, you always have to look at that power delivery into that spine. Um, So if you're really trying to make numbers work just for cracking, you know, the scapula and stuff like that, and in my opinion, if you hit the scapula or the spine, um, you shouldn't be arching. (laughs) That wasn't a well-placed shot. (laughs) Yeah, you missed. You missed and you took an unethical shot because you didn't. The reason why it's unethical, even if you miss at 30 yards, where you're shaking like a leaf. Yeah. Which we all know happens, you know, when you have, you know, that 10 point screaming in your ear, you know. Oh, yeah. My, my <laughs> first elk. Starts tracking them. Yeah, my yeah. first elk experience, I couldn't even knock. I couldn't or I couldn't get my release tied to my D loop because I was yeah. shaking so bad. And it was like exactly. how how could I have made that shot anyway? And if you're not ready for it and and you're pulling back on it, that really wasn't an ethical shot, no matter what range it was. Yeah. Right. Now next year when it happened to you and you had an idea of what was gonna happen, that even though it may have been the same scenario as the year before, you had the experience. That's what makes it, it ethical. Yeah. Right. So the amount out in the field, you what ethical means to me is taking that shot within your own ability. Sure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, 
And that includes just not going out to the range, but your mental state. Can you handle it? Right. Because, you know, the really, truly successful bow hunters that I've seen and stuff like that has started out with rifle or muzzle. You know, hmm. they want to do the muzzle loader or something like that just to get a little closer. Just the next step in challenge is yeah. what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, they're, most of the bow hunters that I see that just start out with bow hunting, they don't do so great. You know, when they're when they're confronted with those animals in the woods and everything else like that. So that's interesting. To, that's yeah. interesting just it's, perspective because you're you're getting to talk to a lot more of those guys daily coming mm-hmm. coming in and out of your oh, shop. Yeah. You know, like you bring up that ethics thing. I just went to Oregon. I just got back from a trip. I was in Oregon with my son who's eleven. And but prior to Oregon, Garrett Weaver, who's one of the guys in the app, he's he's doing this on point experience league where next year the winner of that league is going to get to go do the experience that I just took my son on. Um, sure. And so we wanted to go out and kind of scout it out because we're going to film that experience next year. So we're gonna we need a camera crew. We need there's more logistical mm-hmm. things that we got to pl- kind of plan for. So I just wanted to like all right I'm gonna I want to go see it so I can be planning for it for next year. Well. Prior to that trip, Garrett was like, look, you need to be comfortable taking up to a 400-yard shot. Like, most of the time, you know, we can get it done within 200, but I just want you to be practicing and ready. So the last couple months, I've been taking my son out, and we've done a lot of time behind a 22, and but stretching a distance on the 22, shooting a 22 out to 300 yards, which is like, that's a really long shot with a 22. I mean, mm-hmm. the report back time from when he pulls the trigger, it's like, you know, pew. You know, I mean, it it takes forever (laughs) to get out there. But, you know, what we're doing there is we're practicing, like, understanding wind and how that impacts. We're practicing Mm -hmm. dialing, you know, let's set it to a different distance and let's dial our turrets and see, like, so we we got comfortable. Then we started shooting the 6.5. And you don't want to do a whole lot of that right now because it's so expensive. And then we'd shoot through a box and then have to wait two weeks before we could find another box even available. Mm -hmm. So that was a concern. But we got out there. And he he took a shot at a at a boar, downhill shot, 370 yards, and one shot dropped it in its tracks. And I just like I nice. I cannot believe it. I have, <laughs> I have never taken a shot that far in my life at an mm-hmm. animal. Like and it's like my 11 year old son just did that. But what made that shot possible was that training, the preparation. You know, you mentioned something prior to us hitting the record button is like. You know, if you're not enjoying the process of like shooting a bow or shooting, mm-hmm. you don't go out and do it. And then, you know, and then you shoot five times before you go out to the season. Like, yeah, I get, I'm ready. I'm going to go attack this animal. Mm-hmm. And you're really set up for failure. Yeah. You know, you have to enjoy the discipline of it. Yeah. Really I, li- do. I like how you said there's a bow for every hand. So yeah. dive in, dive mm-hmm. into a little bit more of like what that philosophy kind of means for you because. Like, you mean, yeah, there's enough bows to sell for every hand or meaning every hand or every body is different. So the way we shoot a bow or the enjoyment sure. factor, what do you mean by there's a bow for every hand? Well, I would say it's more kind of on your latter comment where it's 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 the enjoyment factor. Um, some people like the fastest bows out there. They like to be able to, they just want to do that 3D course or drop uh, drop an animal. Um, they'll pick the fastest bow out there. They can get through the, the how shall I say, the harsh turnover of the cams um, and drop it hard into the valley and stuff like that. And they they just like zinging it, right? They like seeing that arrow zing. Yeah. That's their, their thing. Now, 
on the other hand, you know, an older guy like me, right? I don't like that harsh drop. I don't, and, and you just feel like you're getting shaken to death and stuff like that. So it's like, well, if I want to just shoot and enjoy myself, I'm going to find something with a little bit smoother, nicer, draw uh, cycle. into the valley, smaller, you know, yeah. and I'm going to shoot that more because I like it more. And if I like it more and I shoot it more, that's where accuracy really comes from. And understanding, you know, why I hit sometimes and, and miss other times, that's more of the study of the philosophies of, uh, you know, just trying to get better coaching, understanding what your body is doing structurally holding that bow. So there's several different ways you can go about just the training. But when I say a bow for every hand, some guys like traditional, some guys like ILF recurves, some guys like, you know, um, a 30 inch axle to axle. Other guys go hunting with 35 inch axle to axles. Um, you really have to start out with what you like, because if you don't start out with what you like and spend the time to shoot a bow and not just get talked into a bow, but yeah. shoot the bow and enjoy that experience of that bow. Um, there's going to be buyer's remorse there. There's going to be regrets. Well, why did I get this stupid thing? I was told this was the best bow out there. I was told that these are the best arrows out there. It really doesn't matter what the best is. It's the best to you. Sure. Those are the numbers that really, truly matter. And that's why when we say there's a bow for every hand, we want to walk you through those processes. Because a lot of times when, when somebody asks me, well, I want a new bow and I never shot before. I'm like, well, why don't we start out with lessons? So then you go through some lessons and you're understanding a little bit more about archery. And then we start fitting you for a bow. Because now you're going to know what you like. And yeah. That's going to end up better. Yeah. You have so, a better understanding too of what a bow feels like when you release exactly. it and everything. Cause that's, yeah. that's a big thing is the draw cycle and the release. And sometimes you pull a bow back and it's set to the same poundage, but one feels like, man, that just came yeah. back like butter. And the other one, yeah. I was fighting. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. I was fighting to yeah. get it back. Yeah. You, you feel like you just hit a pothole. Yeah. 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 I got it. Well, I mean, and, and that's when, when we get, brand new people to archery in here and we do and they'll come out of a big box store and they got a decent little hunting rig they spent some coin on it and then they shoot something else or they have different questions about it and then they're like well i want that book hmm. that is a very responsible uh stewardship for us as how shall i say more experienced archers uh and and bringing other people into that fold because we believe that archery in itself is a community and we should be watching out for each other and not just allowing people just to yeah. spend a huge amount of money because, you know, we do do retail here, but our memberships are really what props us up. You know, um, it really keeps us going and stuff like that. And sure. our members here, they volunteer all the time and help us out with different things. So it's an inclusive, uh, place right we we try to make sure that everybody feels comfortable the moms uh when they bring their kids in for their homeschool groups they feel comfortable you know it's it, to everybody needs to feel comfortable in our spot so it's it's we don't worry about much of anything except for do you shoot a boat you know and what kind of boat do you want to get into so whether it doesn't matter what kind of person you are we're going to help you out we're going to you know you're going to enjoy your shot here you know, and you're going to find some people you like here, regardless. So even you, Jared. Yeah, even me. There's a community for me. Yep, Crazy people like yep, me. There is. 
Yeah, you yeah. got you know Mike. Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> I do. And we've been we've been talking lately because I didn't like my arrow setup last year. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was the least confident setup I've had going into a season, and I hated that feeling. Like a a, a couple weeks before the season. You know, like I was just like, man, I'm just not getting to the place where I'm feeling as confident as I want to. And so I kept debating, do I go buy a new set of arrows? Because I felt like it was the arrow and the shaft and stuff like that that was like like something about it just wasn't, you know. And I don't know why. I think it's human nature. What you talked about kind of testing and questioning stuff. I, I started with Beeman arrows. Okay. Had yeah. a, had so a great- that's a subsidiary of Eastman. Yeah. Had a great experience with the Beeman arrows. Didn't – no mm-hmm. reason to change. But I – I lost a couple, and I was like, all right, I, I need to go get some new arrows. Sure. Bought some gold tip arrows, and I ran gold tip arrows for eight years or so and and never had a problem, like shot good groups. And I was just running, like, the Hunter arrows, like not, like, fancy, mm-hmm. super expensive, you know, like I, – and I, I'm still blown away. I still deal with the sticker shock of everything. I still feel like a bow fully dressed <laughs> should be 500 bucks, and it's like now oh, – yeah. Now I'm a dozen totally arrows fully one. dressed yeah. is 500 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, you bought yeah. arrows for 500 bucks? I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's crazy <laughs> how much stuff is costing. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, my first bow that I hunted with for 10 years and just recently parted with was, like, a this Quest, you know, QS33, something like that. And it was just sure. like – it was a $200 bow. I set it all up, you know, out the door. I was hunting for $400, you know, maybe. And uh, and it's like, so I still have a bad mindset when it comes to, like, how much archery stuff has, has oh, yeah. gone, gone up oh, the yeah. last couple of years. But mm-hmm. gold tips worked for me for a long time. Somebody gave me a set of Carbon Express, the Maxima mm-hmm. Reds. I, oh, those good arrows. I loved those arrows. I was like, that's yeah. the best arrow I've ever shot. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I st- you know, I started breaking them, and I had them for a couple years, and then yeah, they're kind of weak in the front. Now, yeah, yeah, they're a little weak in the front. And or, if you, you know. if you, if you had a bad hit, like I had a deflection yeah. where it went into a tree, and then you try to pull it out of the tree, and it's it's splintered. yeah, it's just like gonna it's snap. Not, it's not gonna work. Yeah, they fly great. They're not the toughest thing. No, ever. if you, I never had one come out of an animal, I didn't have a passer that I could reuse the arrow. I never, I yeah. every arrow that I shot into an animal broke somewhere with yeah. those. Now, mm-hmm. I recovered every animal that I shot at with the Carbon sure. Express. So, like, I yeah. loved that arrow, but then uh, needed new arrows. So, ran out, you know, I was like, all right, I only have three of these mm-hmm. left or something, four of them. And so, was, all right, time to get. And when I buy arrows, I like to buy kind of two dozen because I want them to last. Sure. I want to test, mm-hmm. I want to run different fletchings, all that. Sure. I I tried a set, and, you know, I was, I was running these Bloodsport arrows, and I just really didn't do well with them like it was like man yeah. I, I don't know what was happening and i i'm not saying that to try to knock them because i'm i'm sure that there's people that shoot great with them mm-hmm. that was that was the least confident setup I've had, and it could have been the spine wasn't right for my setup it could have been a, several different factors mm-hmm. but going into even, last season even you're kind of hitting over one of the things that people really kind of blow over too it's too loose of a knock fit sure right Right. Um, too loose of a knock fit and you're slamming in front of that, you know, that that actual saddle of your knock and you're slamming into that. That one little slam can really kick that arrow. Right. So, you know, when you're talking about floating from one arrow to another arrow or even one set of another set, you really need to be in that conscious mindset is that the blend has to be right. It's like a good coffee, you know. It's just that blend and that roast and everything else has to be right for that one cup. Cause you're never going to have that same cup again. 
So you got to step back and make sure that the whole thing um, from start to finish is, is really yeah, from right, tip you to know. tail. And I probably yep. could have done some more tweaking on that yep. and probably gotten higher performance out of it. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I was kind of at the end of it where I was like, Oh my gosh, like freaking out going into season last year. And then this year, you know, I was like, all right, I'm not going to go back in. I'm going to get them early. I got those carbon express triad, which is by far the most expensive arrow that I've ever bought. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's a, that mm-hmm. those are pricey. And I wanted to try micro diameter or a smaller diameter. Like I don't know that I don't know if they're considered micro because I know they're smaller diameters than what they are. Um, I kind of call them a target crossover because targets have been using these skinnier arrows, like uh, Olympic recurves, and and a lot of the recurve guys have been using these skinnier arrows for ages now. Um, so it's it's almost like they took some of these target arrows, and that's kind of what drove some of the price too. Um, is their target specific arrows, and they crossed them over. So and is that because of the spine in them or what, what is that that makes it's them more accurate? It's more accurate sorting. So when you're looking at a batch of arrows, um, they, a lot of them come out of the same machine, right? But every machine has a certain kind of tolerance to it. Yeah. Right. So when you're looking at how that machine pushes and extrudes that aluminum or extrudes the carbon, right. It's, it's popping them out. It's one machine that's doing it most of the time in a lot of these factories. Right. But what really makes a, a good arrow is a sorting that they're all within a certain tolerance of each other, because with that sorting, then you have a platform that you can start your tune with. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, there are certain different qualities of carbon. And um, when you're talking about the weave and everything else like that, and the density of the carbon. So when they run a certain like, say, I want to run, you know, like uh, you were talking maximum SD, the tri-spines. Right. Yep. Those got three different wraps of carbon on, right? It's a different process, right? But, you know, when you're shooting them, how it transfers that energy is way different than any other arrow. That's what makes them so effective. Um, that coupled with their, um, with their sorting process that Carbon Express was really going after hard before COVID hit, they were really trying to get the best sorting. So the sorting in itself is labor intensive. And that's what drives the price of everything is labor, right? So when they're sorting everything out and they got like, you know, well, we have a sort of 500 here, right? But now we want a nice high grade one. So we break down this 500 down into groups of dozens, right? Instead of just grabbing them and packing them, now you're sorting them again and getting them as close to each other as you can. Yeah. So that's kind of where people don't really understand the cost of arrows. And that's why a lot of people go, well, I bought these super cheap arrows and hell, man, I was like, what is it? I got some given to me way, way back when it was like, I think it was a sportsman brand. I think it was like Carbon Vital or something like that. Yeah. You know, and I just stripped those things out and um, put some new fletches on them. I was hitting everything I can look at. I mean, there, were, <laughs> there wasn't a bad shot I was making with those crappy arrows. But, and that's really kind of like, well, why is everybody spending 200 when I'm spending this 40 bucks or if they were given to me and they're, they're free. Um, it's a guarantee element. Cause yeah. I never had another batch of those, those carbon vitals ever it shot the that same as that one. Yeah. yeah. It was just the luck of the draw that I got with that one batch. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, but but we're the ones that have driven up the cost, though, because because we demand that perfection. It's like if you want yeah. that level of accuracy where 
you start eliminating what I think the goal for me is I want to eliminate as many things with your equipment where then it comes down mm-hmm. to you as the shooter. You know, it's like where you have full confidence in everything from your tuning to your release I to think everything. you're looking at it backwards. You're looking at it backwards. Your confidence should come within you, not your equipment. No, that but that's your what confidence I, comes from your training. Com, but if right? you're shooting something, when you're wanting to dial in, I would co- completely agree. Confidence comes from training and repetition. Yeah. But when you mm-hmm. are shooting and you have that repetition and you can see like using this equipment is producing this results versus using this equipment producing, you know, and you can see those variances in a group size and you're mm-hmm. shooting arrows. It's like you want to get to the place where you feel as confident in your equipment because of the experience and because of the time you're putting in, not because you've spent the money. That on has the expensive to do with more tech understanding training, right? So when you're talking about you're trying to find the best equipment um, and the best bang for your buck and the best value and everything else like that, um, you as the archer need to start diving more into the technical aspect of how what makes that bow work. And that's part of your training too. So, you know, when you're trying to get the most confidence, it's not a brand name. It's your name. You have to invest you. Um, that's where the questioning comes in of like, well, why does this do that and that do that? You know, it's because you don't have a full understanding of what that bow is actually doing. It's not just the shooting that you have to worry about. It's training yourself on the tech side too. Uh, and you're not going to get that kind of training from just um, yeah. reading reviews and stuff like that. You have to go to um, somebody who's willing to train you and, and uh, get you into those kind of things. Um, our members definitely enjoy the fact that, you know, our techs, our coaches, our coaches are our techs, and we walk them through the whole gambit. It's like when I first met you the other day, and I was given a, an Adelato class. In which right? I didn't even know what an Adelato was. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what, what on earth they're doing. That, that shows you what an arrow does, and that's what makes that important. Um, if you look at, you know, just some slow motion throwing of, of how that energy transfers down that out of lateral, that's exactly what an arrow does. Um, but when you're looking at that and you're looking at, and I had that kid there and I said, this kid's my apprentice, yeah. right? You had a 14 year old um, boy. Yeah. And, and you've I been got building him. bow strings for a while. And it's like, you've got a, you yeah. got a 14 And I watch over everything he does to make sure that everything is within tolerance and everything else like that. Um, those are the kind of people you need to seek out um, and those kind of opportunities you need to seek out because within that kind of detail, um, he has a better understanding of, of um, self with bow rather than just my bow and just me shooting. It's the combination. Like I said, the perfect blend of coffee, right? You got to put it all together. You can't just say, well, my bow is perfect. Or I don't know what's wrong with this bow. And then I pick it up and I'm, I'm drilling tax it with it. And they're looking at me like, well, what the hell is wrong with me? My form, just with how much I studied my form, I don't need a forgiving bow. I don't need to tune a bow that's forgiving, right? I can make that myself do accuracy and that bow is going to follow me. It's kind of hard to understand until you start really getting more into the tech world and diving deep of what makes a good arrow, what makes a good string, what makes this, what makes that, what makes this recurve one better than that recurve one. And, and you're chewing it all up. 
when would you say you started jumping into that rabbit hole? Like you started shooting, but when, when did you start falling off the cliff? (laughs) (laughs) I was broke. Uh, No, I was, I was uh, really broke and I needed a bowstring. Right. And I was looking at my bow and I want to go shoot, but this thing is about ready to fall apart. Started looking at different strings, string builders, asking people in archery talk forums, stuff like that. And this is how they built their strings. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, and what makes this material so much better than that material? Well, everybody says it's, you know, 452X BCY. You should shoot that. Well, that's just what they hear. Yeah. Where's your numbers? Just like with your, with your hunt league, where's your numbers? What, it, what That's what you hear. That's what your opinion is. And that, you know, just kind of, you hear it enough times, it ends up being truth, right? So it's you end up believing well, it to just, be true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's and, true. Exactly. You know, and and I sit there and I look at it. I'm like, well, okay, I believe you that it's a 452x BCY might be the best one, but hell, what about bloodline material? They're they're new. What are you basing on your opinion on them? Because they're new. You know, if they're new, they have no historical data. So what makes you think just because the historical data is accurate that there's not a new development that you shouldn't be looking at? Yeah. Because I'm selling the snot out of the bloodline material. People are loving that wax stuff. And um, they don't even know they have it. They think they got like a standard freaking 452X, you know, ABB string, you know, just straight off the press yeah. and stuff like that. And they're shooting it. And I'm like, well, I put that waxless stuff on your bow. And they're looking at me like, oh, it shit good, man. And I used to be that way too with my recurve, my recurve limbs, right? It's like, no, no, no. Win and win's got the best recurve limbs out there and this and that. You know, I used to be that way too. And a buddy of mine up the street, he owns a shop right up here. And he came in and he was just like, man, you should, you should try these ukas. No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot these win and wins, you know, off my black and wolf till the day I die and this and that. And then I was like, well, more people were asking for it. And I was saying, well, we'll just stock them. And then I saw him come in and then I'm looking at him and I'm like, well, I'll try him. Oh man, do those hold nice. You know, and, it, and it's just kind of like, all right, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and start listening to everybody around me and stop being a Jack. Yeah. And, be willing and to learn and be willing to, exactly. like it, it's a and continuous learning process. Bit. And, you know, and then I realized, well, why doesn't people try different kinds of strings and different kinds of materials? Why do they get stuck on it? You're Will Bowman. Bowman's yeah. bowstrings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can people listening to Hunt League that live in Pennsylvania, New York, Oregon. I got a website. Yeah, so they can they can go check out your strings there. Down material wise on that of what you can expect and what you if you like it, I got it. If you want to try something different, I got that too. You don't have to be stuck with something. Is what my my belief is, right? Yeah. So it's you know for the longest time, how many, what kind of bowstrings do you shoot? I'm shooting a Cedar Hill. It's a small okay. manufacturer. I don't know if you've really? ever even heard of them, but it's a small yeah. manufacturer bowstrings, and I've used them on my last two setups. Um, sure. And you know what's funny? Like it's and you would normal like sometimes you know you, you buy a new bow, and like mm-hmm. a lot of times 
before you even leave the shop, they're telling you to replace the strings because it's like, oh, oh just I get rid of that. that. And I'm like, well, why, I hate that. why do bow manufacturers sell you a $2,000 bow and then you walk out and you got you to gotta replace a string? And I'm like, so is, is there a reason why, what's, no, why do no. people say to replace the string? Should people replace the string? I mean, get, no, what? they shouldn't. No, they shouldn't. Um, as you know, I may be shooting my foot with saying this and stuff like that, but there's a lot of manufacturers out there that use high quality strings. Um, Athens Archery has gas, which is a well-known name. Elite uses Winter's Choice, right? Um, there was a couple, I think, uh, I think Dudley, Dudley put a couple of ABB strings on some of his special builds, right? Um, there's a lot of manufacturers that, that use some really nice strings. I will tell you that some of the best production strings that I've seen are actually PSE live wires. Those hold up forever. Those are some good strings. And as a builder and somebody who looks at, at quality and everything else like that, those guys will shoot those strings for a couple of years. Most of the time, the, the PSEs that I restring are um, within the past five years, like over five years old in strings, which tells me that that's durability. That old, Unless unless people with PSE bows don't shoot their bows because they don't like their bows, so you'd have to tell me like these yeah. are people that are right. actually shooting their bow, and and they're getting five years out exactly. of a string. Exactly. So when people say when people say Hoyt strings suck, well, okay, why? Oh, it's just what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to that thing. It's like okay, you know, you already paid for the strings, right? Shoot the snot out of them in off season, right? Get build your relationship with your bow and then think about a new string. You're you and your bow are a relationship. You, you got to spend time together. You got to walk the woods. You got to, you know, spend some time on those 3d courses. Yeah. You know, getting to know each other. And I don't understand. It's like, I don't know. Um, I guess some new, you know, some people that just, Hey, I got to have your strings. I'm like, okay. You know, have you shot this bow at all? No. Well, what kind of string do you want? Do you want something with a little more give to it, a little more feel in the wall, or you want something a little bit more staunch? No, I don't know. Well, <laughs> just put a string. Yeah. Something. You know, you don't even. You okay, don't... but let me let me just go to you because this is why I'm talking to you today. Because there mm -hmm. are people in town that sure. will take their arrows and and mm -hmm. they'll take them to Archery School of Rockies, but they mm -hmm. will specifically say, "I don't want anybody to touch these unless it's." will bowman because sure. because their trust in you and so when it comes to like a string i'm sure that there's people like that that's like i don't know i don't know anything about strings but all i know is that everybody in town says take your bow take your arrows take your stuff to will bowman because if you do that you're gonna like the end product so i feel like you have a little bit of that reputation where like people sure. are gonna trust you but what you're saying is like yeah but they should know <laughs> you know well i'm trying to tell them <laughs> yeah. I try to tell them and it's it's okay you don't have to be brand loyal with me you don't right I want I look at archers as part of my community you're part of my family you know and no matter where you buy your stuff I worry about like well how was your experience yeah because if we have more archers out there then there's going to be more programs for us to shoot right and then there's going to be more competitions and more fun and everything else like that more of the great things of archery and uh, so I'm, I'm still at that ground level where, you know, there's a bow for every hand. Let's try to get one in every hand. Yeah. Right? Because there should be, it, it should be a lot of fun, right? 
we should be able to take our, our friends and our family and our kids and just enjoy a nice little walk out in, in the woods and, and we're running into people we know and we're talking, we're seeing, hey man, how's work going? Oh, it's going good. What are you doing nowadays? We need that still in our community, in our lives. And I think archery is a great platform to do that. You do it in hunting, why not archery? Absolutely. Well, let's 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 jump out of the shop for a second. Tell us tell us about Will Bowman, the bow hunter. What animals do you enjoy hunting? I know you work with a bow a lot. Do you rifle hunt too? Like, just give me give me a little bit. Take me outside the shop and introduce me to your hunting world. Okay. Well, rifle wise, um, kind of got out of rifle due to the army. Sure. Um, didn't really want to do more rifle stuff. No more shooting. When I grew up, done. when I grew up um, in Indiana, hunting was. Hunting was a chore. Um, I grew up on a car- corn farm and it was just a chore. You know, my granddad would put me up in a, in a stand with, uh, you know, with a 12 gauge shotgun with a, with a, with a freaking deer slug in it. And, uh, okay, sit there. You got one tag, right. And all our cousins would do it. And, you know, we would just sit up there and we drop our deer, you know, and then we, you know, go get the tractor lift it up and pull it back in and it's just like okay and then you just you process it and you ate it, it but you didn't like, love it that way when you say chore like i think really, of chores, it like, it's uh, kind of work like it's not necessarily what you work. do for fun it was work and and to me um hunting is a skill it started out with you're saying it worked but it was skill development does that make sense yeah a lot of things that you learn in that kind of rural area was skill development it wasn't really my grandfather had a way of um he used to say do it scientifically Thinking through the problem, not just this is something that needs to be done. Think through the problem. Um, what's the best way of going about working and everything else like that? So it was oh, even as a kid, it was thinking through before you do. Yeah. Being and, willing um, to ask questions and not just. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, past, past the cornfield hunting, you know, after I grew up, I went to college for a little bit and then I went into the army. Um, and when I was in the army, it was a different kind of hunting. So that kind of pushed me off. So hunting for me for a good portion of my life was just a means to an end. It was, it was work, like you said, but it was more skill developing and, and getting those kind of things. So after that, you know, when I first got a bow and I started shooting and I really enjoyed shooting again, then I started finding 3d ranges in the area. Then I started finding a community in the area. Then I found something other than the army in the area. Hmm. Um, so it really started to reawaken me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So archery brought some things there, to life and, yep. and gave you a new passion for something. Yep, that exactly. Kind so of dormant. then it was just, well, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all these people bow hunt and everything else like that. So I just got myself over the counter tag and I went at it. That was pretty much, you know, how I rewoke up. But when I go out to the field now, it's, it's really me allowing myself to slow down to read the sign, find sign, read sign. That, that's really what I yeah. enjoy most of all is closing that gap and using the environment around me to locate something. Yeah. I, I always thought that was a really neat part of the game that people really kind of just like, Oh, just follow that. Well, okay. You know, that's cool. Can we get a little deeper in it? Really in my mind, that's the best part of the game. It isn't necessarily, you know, making sure that you have the shot and everything else like that. No, it's like every year, I, I take kids on a pronghorn hunt. Me and my buddy, we, we volunteer some time and we, we take them out and everything. And we, we show them how to close on that animal and stuff like that. And they're, 
you know, it's kind of neat showing those skills. You know, we kind of just pass over. Are you doing skills. that with archery? Uh, we're doing that more with rifle. I was going to say, man, pronghorns doing any spot and stock on a pronghorn oh, taking kids. I was yeah. like, that's yeah. a challenge, man. No, that is a challenge. That is a super challenge. Um, considering that you can't even stop a carb anywhere near them without them bolting. Yeah. When you're out there and you're teaching these kids a little bit of something about hunting and stuff like that, that's really what I, it doesn't really matter the method of take at that point. What I really like is, is getting out there on the field, um, getting the sense of reconnecting with nature, being yeah. part of nature again. Um, yeah, being the immersive the environment. That we are, yeah, we are predators and it's okay to be a predator. We're not evil. It's just our place in life. Um, we shouldn't look at it as something that we're destructive or something like that, but that's just kind of the balance of things, right? And we get out there, we start tracking, we start, you know, patterning, we start going out there. My enjoyment isn't necessarily whether or not I, I drill something. I really do enjoy the track, yeah. getting on sign, figuring out the pattern in nature, you know, and being part of it again, you know. And removing ourselves from screens, which is another nice thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, well, I mean, that whole thing, like being in the woods, like my passion Mm -hmm. for elk, I didn't, I, I arrowed my first elk at five years into elk hunting. Like, and I was working hard. First two years, I never saw an elk. Like, I didn't. Oh, I'm in the same boat. I was hunting hard. (laughs) Yeah. It is hard work. It is hard work. Yeah. It's always, I hear those stories of people that, you know, come from out of state and day three, they shoot one. And I'm just like, how the hell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I know, I know people can just get lucky or, you know, all it takes is just the right moment and the combination Mm -hmm. of those things. Well, it took me five years before it all came together and I had the right moment. And then Mm -hmm. at the end of that five year thing, and I released my first arrow at an elk, uh, I didn't recover that animal and it was devastating. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and then it took several more years before I finally was willing to kind of take that shot. And, but Mm -hmm. my passion for elk hunting and just being in the woods was growing that whole time. Like some people were like, man, aren't you frustrated? Time to throw in the towel. And it was like, man, you just have no idea. Like it's the experience. Mm -hmm. And like, I could care less about, whether I got one or didn't get one, like some of my favorite years of hunting were years that I didn't get one. And it's like, well, how, how do you like that? And it's like, cause it wasn't about, it wasn't about just the success of the animal. It's about the woodsmanship and the story. And I mean, I think that ties into why I built hunt league the way I have. Cause it's like, I want to capture every sighting, every rub, all the things that I get to experience out there. And I want to share those stories with my kids, with my friends. And you know, and it, it, like I've, I've taken people that would never have thought about hunting or even shooting a bow or anything like that and have, mm-hmm. have walked them through some of my hunt logs and I'm just mm-hmm. showing them the story. It's like, Oh my gosh. Oh, I want to try that. Like that's so cool. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then take them to the backyard and let them shoot a bow for the first time. Like, here, take this bow home with you. Like go, mm-hmm. go. And it's, it's amazing seeing that kind of passion translate, but I, I completely identify with what you're saying in terms of it's, it's, it's sort of like experience. I can't remember what movie it was. Um, it was an old baseball movie. Um, I can't remember what it was, but um, the natural it was this guy. Was that the natural? Was it Robert no, Redford? No, it was one? a little bit more recent than that one. Okay, um, but it was just, it was about a coach, and um, he had kind of like a really crappy team, and he had to get them back up and everything else like that. So he was drilling them, drilling them, drilling them, um, trying to make it where they could win and everything else like that. 
And then they had lost their season through all the work and everything else like that. And then the guys are just goofing off and playing a game and enjoying the game and laughing at themselves at the game. And the coach goes, Oh, okay. That's baseball. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and at the end of the day, you know, you may not win the game, but you know what? It sure is heck fun playing. Yeah. And, and we, we need to really kind of, when people really get kicked in over, Oh, well, you know, this, I didn't close or this and that, that, and this, and it's like, I opened up some new area. I got close a couple of times, you know, and they're telling those stories. Those are just as good as, as pulling out a th- well, maybe not as good as pulling out like a 300 or something like that, but I mean, it's, it's still pretty yeah. up there, you know? Well, I mean, so. just in my own personal experience there last year was one of the worst hunting years for me. Not, not because I didn't see animals and not because it wasn't, uh, it, it should have been one of the best, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. what happened, I had, I drew a tag that I had waited for, for several years uh, for a deer. I had scouted and found one specific deer that I was just like, I can't believe I had the opportunity to hunt this. This is incredible. Well, opening day, an outfitter connected with that deer, you know, with, with his client. And I mean, it, it like wrecked me. And I will, mm-hmm. I will tell you like, there was a disappointment of that, but also like in building the Huntley Gap, I've started to put uh, there was pressure mounting on me where I feel like I needed to perform, you know, and it was mm-hmm. like I sure. never I'd never carried that pressure before. I just sure. love being in the woods. So it was a combination of like my pursuit of like I've waited years to draw this tag and now and and then I finally drew this tag and then oh my gosh, I found an animal and I've never hunted like that before. I've always been thrilled taking, you know, the four corn buck. It's mm-hmm. just it's never been I've never dealt with any disappointment on, on, you know, the size of an animal or those things. It hasn't mattered Mm -hmm. to me. Well, the combination of that pressure from hunt league, feeling like I need to actually demonstrate I can be successful. And, you know, there's a community now. And is that even Mm -hmm. real? Like, I don't think anybody in the hunt league community cares whether or not I get one or they just, I think they want me, (laughs) yeah, they want me to have fun and and love what I'm doing. Sure. But I started carrying for no reason, for no good reason. I started yeah. carrying that pressure. I dealt with the disappointment. And I, I mean, I was seeing plenty of deer, seeing plenty of elk. And I yeah. was the whole time, I could not get my attitude right and had a wrong headspace, just was not in a good place. And I was like, this is so stupid. And I'm ruining what should be one, an incredible season because I'm, I, and I and I did it to myself. It was self sabotage, but it's like I I did, and it's like coming out of that season. And like there was one, there was actually a Hunt League member, Crazy McBride, who won the Outdoors of the Year last year. That sent mm-hmm. me a text right before my last weekend. I've been discouraged. I had even like I'd planned longer trips, but I would come home early just because I'm not even having fun. I'm I'm just gonna go home. Yeah, um, you're just burnt out. Yeah, so I I go mm-hmm. and it's the last weekend of season, and Crayson just sends me and says, "Man, hey, just." And it was simple. Like, I think it's just like him trying to be an encouragement, but he was like, Hey, just take what the Lord gives you. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was, you know, I, my initial thought, honestly, when I heard that was like, well, the Lord has given me crap this year. This is, this is all <laughs> sorts of hell. You know, I was like, yeah, I don't know that I want I, any I've more. That, yeah. I was like, I don't know that I want any more of what the Lord's going to give me. Cause I, I feel like mm-hmm. I've had enough. Well, 
after you know you meditate on that and kind of re that i mean that thought was just replaying in my mind and i'm like go going through my own process of like you know what like god is good like i'm walking in nature and he he's created all this and like i'm sitting there on the last day of the season to this sunrise where there was a little bit of snow in the mountains it was gorgeous and i i was alone and i just looked out on it and it was it was like a gift from god in that moment where it was like take what the Lord gives you. And it was like this sunrise that he's given me, like he, this is a gift for me. Nobody else is sitting on this mountainside enjoying this right now, other than me. Like this is a I gift from God yeah. to me right now. And it mm-hmm. was like, and so I just started to receive everything that I was soaking in as a gift from God. And it was like mm-hmm. a, like everything shifted. And then I, when I would see an animal and start pursuing something and, and I had a couple stocks that day, I even, I, I, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable day. And then at the end, uh, I'm driving out empty handed and I'm about three miles before I'm out of the unit. I pulled over to let a couple cars pass. And as I'm pulled over beside the road, I look out my window and there's three bucks just sitting like <laughs> 50 yards away. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. that mind like take what the lord gives you and i'm like i think you know i end up getting out of, out of the car and <laughs> walked really over yeah was yeah, it the sunset or the <laughs> like what, what is happening yeah. so yeah. but it just everything changed and it's like my commitment going into this year is i want to protect that mindset i want to sure. carry that forward and just be like and even if somebody's listening it's like man we got to stop dealing with the pressure that we put on ourselves for what we consider success and like the idea of even like don't post anything ever inside the Huntley gap. That's to impress somebody else. You know, it's like, it's meant yeah, to sure. capture, it's meant to capture and share your story. Cause I think our stories are significant. And I think stories of failure are just as significant as stories of success, but it's like helping people stay in that pot, like not just positive mindset, but just embracing the mindset, embracing sure. the challenges and questioning the environments. And, so I, I, you know, I've really appreciated just, I feel like you echo some of those things and are reminding me before this season starts, you know, get my mind right. I got to tell you, just, I mean, well, why do you really hunt? It's for fun, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's the biggest thing out of, out of all of it. I mean, why, if you're not doing it for fun, then you're doing the wrong reasons all the way around. Yeah. If you don't feel any kind of fulfillment out of doing it just to do it and find the fulfillment in the execution, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You're hundred percent the wrong reasons. And it will always be negative for you. I've gone on hunts where I felt like a complete fool and I just can't believe I did this or, you know, I just wasted a bunch of time, effort and money on this hunt and this and that. And I'm just kind of like, Hey, you know, I have some good stories out of those too. Yeah. Right. Is that really a bad loss? I, I know a little bit more about the world now. Is that really a loss or is it, you know, we got to start shifting our losses as failures. Losses are lessons, you know, Absolutely. we got to take those lessons. <laughs> well, that's part we of the Huntley to. gap lessons too. Lessons are positive. We may not like to hear them, but there's definitely positive. Lessons and failure. I've had plenty yeah. of them. And, yeah, but, you exactly. know, those are the things so, that shape you for success. Sure. I mean, you can't, you can't get successful without failure, you know, otherwise it wasn't really challenging and it was just kind of like, eh, easy for you, Yeah. you know, and that's, it's kind of one of the great things about, you know, archery, bow hunting, hunting just in general, it's like you take on the challenge, what, to prove your mettle, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, shouldn't be that it should be like, well, I'm, I'm taking a look inward. Yeah. 
I'm expanding myself inward and I'm, I'm trying to do things a little bit differently. And I want to know if I can do this for myself, not for anybody else. Can I do this? Can I harvest food for myself? Can I do this? Can I, well, I may have not done it this time, but hell man, nobody ever gets anything right the first time. So we'll go again. Or the third time. You know, it's like, well, you know, this fourth time around, still have a drop. Nothing. Okay. I'm all right with that. Let's just, uh, I just want to be on the mountain or I just want to do this. And yeah. that's really when the lessons started happening. I, I really think that's why you, the average elk hunter is five years for first elk. It is. So you're right on par. You got to learn the lessons first before you really close in that gap. Right. And that's, that was your lesson from God right there. You got to learn the lessons of nature and what's around you before you really, before those opportunities really happen. So yeah. It's kind of what it is. Yeah. That's big time. Well, mm-hmm. is there anything I'll just kind of give you like, is, is there anything you want to close with? It, you know, you could change no, the subjects right. or. Yeah, I think we're, I think we chatted for quite some time. No. Um, I do got to get back to work. I got some more strings to build today. I love so. it. Well, Will Bowman, thanks for joining me on the Hunt League podcast. I appreciate not just you joining me here, but what you're doing for the community, archers everywhere. I hope that people, as they listen to this uh, today, wherever they are, you know, that they feel encouraged and more prepared to head to the woods, that they're willing to pick up their bow and go get some practice in and, you know, make it Come fun. Come on in and ask some questions here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just, just ask some questions, and you'd be amazed at what you can learn. Well, thank you for joining us on the Hunt League podcast, and you have a great day building those bowstrings. Hey, thanks, Jared. You have a good one. As we finish out this podcast, I want to introduce you to one of our new product sponsors. As you all know, finding game is a critical part of every hunter scout, and many of us spend hours behind glass every year. Well, I recently saw an ad from a company called Asiac Equipment that makes a bino clamp that is super low profile, extremely lightweight, and attaches to your binoculars where you can still slide them in and out of your chest harness. The clamp has an Arca-Swiss base plate, which quickly attaches your binoculars to a tripod or monopod for an incredible glassing experience. The bino clamp is super affordable at 36 bucks. If this sounds interesting, check it out inside the Hunt League app or go to asiacequipment.com.